Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, history nerds. Welcome to the inaugural trip down the historic rabbit hole. We have a fun episode planned for you as a way to get to know Kat and I. The two of us actually met at our day job in the public library, but our friendship was cemented when we started talking about Broadway, specifically a little-known show called Six. There's a small group of us who have created our own queendom through the queens that we feel that most represent ourselves. Therefore, we are bringing you the history of our personal queens today for our first episode. On that note, hey Kat. Yeah. What do you know about my queen, Anne Boleyn? I know a little bit about Anne Boleyn. I know the basic summary that Six kind of provides and then just a little bit of deep like digging that I've done since then. But that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, we all do know the story that the rich white men of British history want us to believe. Anne Boleyn becomes maid of honor to Catherine of Aragon. Henry falls Mm -hmm. in love. They break Mm -hmm. England from the church. She apparently sleeps around while not giving Henry the son he wants, and then gets killed for treason so he can marry her second cousin. Forget about Bruno. That's the gist of it. Yeah, forget about Bruno. We do not talk about Jane Seymour on this podcast. (laughs) I'm, though, going to give you a different story. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of research, and I found a story that seems to be a bit more realistic about the real Anne Boleyn, who actually died trying to make 16th century England a better place for everybody to live. Mm, the kind of thing that easily gets swept under the rug when uh, the winner is the bad guy. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to start with the basics, then get into the nitty-gritty fun stuff. There may be also be a murder uh, mystery involved. Ooh. So Anne was born sometime circa 1501 to 1507. It's unknown as any records of her birth and stuff seem to be nowhere to be found. 
Um, hmm. Facts about her teenage years actually makes 1501 the most likely year of her birth, which means that okay. Anne and I would be about the same age, like as of this recording, Anne was the same age as me when she was murdered, probably. Oh my goodness. Which so kind sorry, of is creepy. 1501, that was her theoretical date of birth? Yeah. Okay. Like at least from like what what we've seen like her like from her, like facts about her actual teenage years and stuff like that 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 is the most likely year that she would have been born. Gotcha. Okay. Her father was the first Earl of Wiltshire, and her mother was the daughter of nobility as well as a lady in waiting to two queens. The most notable to this story being Catherine of Aragon. Ooh. Anne was born in Norfolk, England. Fun fact: the family dog is actually a Norfolk Terrier cross. Probably should have named her Anne rather than Bellatrix, but hindsight. <laughs> uh, before moving, before she then moved to the Netherlands to join the household of Margaret of Austria, who was a descendant of a Holy Roman Empire, Emperor. She stayed okay. at this home in the Netherlands until her father got her position in France, where she ended up being the maid of honor to two French queens. Um, everyone in France adored her, found her to be a dark-haired beauty with a brilliant mind. And it was Ooh. actually there in France that she was exposed to the real reason of why the British men plotted against her. Um, she, when she returned to England, she had to actually find a way to keep her French independence while also fitting in with the court of a country that hated the country that pretty much brought her up. Right. Because, uh, England was more closely allied with Spain at the time, right? And yeah. there was like this whole thing between Spain and France and England was kind of sucked into the middle of it mm -hmm. politically. Yeah. And I think just before Anne and Mary, uh, both kind of like came into like the British court, Frenchmen had actually murdered King Henry's uncle in right, cold blood right. and stuff, right? So, that been recent. Okay. Yeah, so the two countries weren't friends. Yeah. Um, and France had very different ideals than England did. Right, yeah. Which we are going to see in Anne's story. Because now <laughs> we get to kind of come back for the juicy stuff. In 1522, Anne came back to England for one reason. To marry her, mm -hmm. her Irish cousin. Uh, his right, okay. nickname was The Lame, not because of social status, but because of a war injury. Uh, uh, but his real name was James Butler, ninth Earl of Ormond and the second Earl of Orsery. His earlship over Ormond was actually quite a dispute in the family because their fathers fought hard over who had the right to that title. It was actually Henry's idea that the two cousins should be wed as basically a way to stop the whole title dispute as well as a favor to his friend Wesley in order to keep James employed at that home instead of being sent back to Ireland. Hold up. It was Henry's idea that the two get married? Yes. Oh, that's going to be frustrating later. Okay. Well, I mean, like, Anne's family was already kind of, like, part of the court. Because, like, mm -hmm. her mom was working for um, the queen, and her father was actually, like, highly regarded by the king. And right. then, of course, Cardinal Wolseley comes friggin' in and is like, hey, mm -hmm. I want to keep this guy who's part of my, like, home employment. I want to keep him because if not, then he has to go back to Ireland. So let's just bring his cousin back over and marry the two of them. Right. Okay. Very romantic. Um, yeah, such, such sweet romance. <laughs> yeah. But the, the title actually ended up going to Anne's father by 1528, and the cousins mm. never actually did marry. Although there is okay. no, re like, there's nothing that tells us as to why they never got married. Okay. Did um, they ever have, like, any kind of relationship at all then? Not that is known. 
Not that is known. Okay. No. But James' story does have an interesting ending. Mm-hmm. He married a lady named Joan in 1930. Sorry, 1830. 1530. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever year it is. <laughs> One of those centuries is correct. <laughs> 1530 had uh-huh. seven sons before he was murdered by poison at a house party in 1546. What? Yeah, he was murdered. He, his steward, and 16 members of his household were all killed by poison at this party. What? That's, like, how? Well... Did they ever, like... There's no formal investigation, but it is assumed that John Dudley, who was the host of this house party, decided to get rid of his competition because then John Dudley got these titles from James Butler. Oh, my words. How, he was a nobleman. How is there no investigation into that? Like that's Because like he's a nobleman. Oh, because Dudley was a nobleman? Yeah, yeah like, so Dudley had titles, but he wanted more titles. And so... Okay. He was like, Butler hey. was a nobleman too, though. Yep. So they just like they they just picked a side and they were just like, well, okay, we'll brush it over for this guy and then this guy's death can just go uninvestigated. Like that that's fine. Pretty much. Although it was in like fifteen forty six. And right. I think and I think like the Boleyn family probably was already at that point like in trouble. Uh yeah, yeah, okay. Right. He's like with the Boleyn family, so I don't think he was any concern uh, anymore. Okay. I gotcha, because, okay, so if that happened in, so you said, like, 1546, so that's, like, way later after, like, after Anne's gone and everything. Yeah. So, but you know what, at least Anne wasn't part of the whole murder scheme. (laughs) Well, that's true. I mean, at least she couldn't be thrown under the bus for that one. (laughs) Yeah. Then we have Henry Percy, who comes in, because he's her next Mm. suitor. He is the son of Henry Percy, Earl of whatever. Daddy Henry Percy was an asshole who decided that his son's secretly betrothed wasn't in a high enough standing to marry a future earl. Oh, my word. Okay, so So he... So, ironically, this random nobleman is like, yeah, Anne's not a high enough status for us. But then the king later is like, nah, she's fine? What? Exactly. The the inconsistencies in the society, like, boggle my mind. Exactly, because I'm like, so Anne wasn't high enough on the social ladder to marry an earl. But we're supposed to believe that Anne and her father were like, hey, we're going to try it for the King of England. Which, to me, I'm like, that kind of shows that, well, no, there probably wasn't a plot to marry the King of England because he's not the easy snatch if an earl was fused. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, she's got no power here. Like, she, like... There's no way that she could have ended up with Henry unless it was specifically because he was like, oh, she's shiny. I want that one. Like, yeah, that's like, that's kind of the only thing. Just Henry throwing all regard for everything to the wind and choosing her anyway is so much more like believable than this girl who doesn't have the status to marry an earl being like, you know what? I'm going to seduce the king. Exactly. Well, and as I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth later, like, Mm-hmm. If Anne and her father tried to seduce the king and it didn't work, then Ooh. her entire family is going down. Oh, that's a good point. I never considered that. So he, they, they are like on that precipice kind of a thing of that, yes, they have the king's favor, but they're still not high enough class 
to really be meaningful of anything in this society, right? Right, okay. Now, my fun fact about Henry Percy Jr., he was on the jury of peers who doomed Anne to die. Of course, of course. Don't understand? He was on the jury? Yes, he was wasn't on he the like, jury. Wasn't he, like, part of the case? How was he? No, he was How part was of the actual the jury? jury. What on earth? Okay. Yeah. Well, historical men, they real. like to make sure that their exes are murdered in cold blood. Oh, <laughs> uh, clearly. Yeah, but... Oh, hang on. So, oh, sorry. And his name again was Henry Percy, right? Or was that Harry? Henry Percy. Okay. So between your story and my story, I think our lesson of the day is just avoid all men named Henry. I'm so sorry, but that's just like the running theme. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, fully agree. Now... Mm-hmm. Anne was not a seductress who wanted to marry the king for power. She, well, yeah. We, we already know mm-hmm. this, but... You and I know this. But <laughs> when you look at their actual letters, and the letters mm. that Henry and Anne sent to each other, she was actually trying her hardest to push the king and his advances away. Mm. Mm-hmm. His letters, pretty much in today's society, would be considered harassment. Uh, yeah. What is ironic mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. these love letters are actually held in an archive. At really? The, at the library of the Vatican. Interesting. So they're holding the lovely quote-unquote love letters in an archive of the man that literally tried to split the country apart religiously and to say fuck you to the Vatican. He really did. So the letters that Henry wrote to her or she wrote back or both? Both. There's both. actually okay. well, mainly his to her. Mainly his to her. And yeah. they, like, describe them as love letters? Well, like, when we look at how historians have taken these letters, they, right. like, it's very much described as love letters. Interesting. Okay. Unless you actually look closely at the letters. And, like, actually read them? Yes. <laughs> but I'd kind of digress a little bit. Anne actually wasn't keen on following her sister's stint as, a mit- as the mistress to the king. Many scholars right. and people at the time suspect that both of Mary's kids are actually the king's bastards, as there are no firm dates for the affair, and it's possible that she was sleeping with the king and her husband that she got through the king at the sa- around the same time frame. Oh my goodness, I knew about one of them, but both of them? Like, oh my goodness, yeah. girl. Um, and Anne also actually loved the queen, and most likely had mm. ideals that one shouldn't sleep with another's husband. Mm. The affair would have most likely ended in pregnancy, uh, which Anne didn't have a husband to hide the child behind. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mary could hide her child behind her husband, like, or, well, her children, if yeah. um, they actually were the kings, Anne had no one. And Anne's, uh, sorry, not Anne's husband, Mary's husband was related to the king too, right? And they, like, without any DNA testing or whatsoever, anything like that, the best thing that they would have had was like well he looks like his dad so it's probably his right so like that's an extra layer of protection too exactly considering that the king is the one that was like hey i have a man for you to marry now you can still be my mistress congratulations yeah there you go we've secured your your job security is like safe here (laughs) exactly um but the main reason that Anne would actually be opposed to an affair with henry would be the Mm -hmm. fact that he was super against everything she stood for as we said, she came from France, who had very different beliefs. Mm-hmm. And she was vocal about them, too. She was very vocal about them. And we all know that women are supposed to be seen as creatures that should be meek and mild, caring for their husbands without complaint. She mm-hmm. was not. She was passionate and a very big supporter of evangelism. 
Mm. So he was actually a threat to her beliefs because just as she came to court is when he became the defender of the faith by the Vatican and like the Pope and all of those people. Right, right. So he just got like a bunch of religious power and then, but like in a way that she wouldn't have agreed with. Exactly. So once again, like if she disagreed with the king, it would Mm -hmm. turn up pretty poorly for her entire family. Yeah. Yeah, you you can be loud about that kind of stuff when it came to like the king unless he really, really liked you. Which, through his letters, we could definitely see that he liked Anne. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to dispute the idea, though, that she might have helped force his hand to break England from the church. Because oh. she was ev- like evangelist. Like, she supported mm-hmm. that whole thing. Um, she actually was trained by, like, like, like the original Lutherism like, supporters in France. Like, she, and she was actually allowed to have a voice in France that she sat and learned and got to talk to people and understand what she was supporting. Right, yeah. So I could see for sure, like, I would be like, oh, hey, the king really wants my hand. He seems, like, super into it. Let's give it a try. Mm-hmm. What can I do to help push these this agenda of, of like, making the country better in a way? Right, yeah. Because she was educated in French courts that valued Reformation, including religious Reformation. So she probably right. saw him as somebody who was like, I'll do bring anything. About like, yeah. I'll do anything to get you in my bed. <laughs> so she's like, I can use that and bring about religious Reformation because this guy can't keep it in his pants. <laughs> exactly. So she saw the opportunity to use his obsession over her as a way to help the English people. Because right. at this time, a little bit of a church lesson people had such a fear of god and the church that the priests actually had an upper hand over pretty much everything including people's health Uh, yeah got to the point that the church was making money by having people pay for their sins rather than just pray to god yeah and the corruption in the church was just like absolutely like mind-bogglingly awful like it was so so bad it was like um translations of the bible in any religion outside or sorry in any uh language outside of the original written language was counted as heretical because they didn't want everybody to be able to read the bible for themselves they wanted the pre- them to have to take the priests and the bishop and the pope at their word yeah. um or like study for years and years and years and learn like latin and hebrew and like the original text and be able to read the original text like they didn't want people to be able to read it for themselves and think for themselves and this is a whole thing that honestly i could do a whole other episode on um but like it was a mess (laughs) It, it really was a mess well and like on that same note, literacy wasn't hu- like wasn't big. Um, exactly. So basically, the Pope literally stated that his authority was greater than the Bible. So one only had to mm-hmm. listen to his priests, and they would be listening to God, right? So it's like, don't even bother to try to read it in yeah. any language. Just listen to the priests. They're talking for me, and I'm talking for God. Exactly. And only the priests and, like, the the church, like, higher up, more educated people in the church would be the only ones who could read it, and therefore they would be the only ones who would know that, like, that's not in there. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, one of the slogans of the church was, quite literally, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, at once the soul to heaven springs. Ah, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. It's so bad. Oh... So Anne would have seen all of this, and she had a soft spot for the lower class, Mm -hmm. so she would have want the Pope out of the way 
so that future yeah. reformations could happen. Yeah, for sure. Which basically means that, like, yeah, she had no choice but to finally say yes to the, the king's hand because mm-hmm. there's also, like, the king was actually starting to threaten the positions of her father and her brother. Mm, and right. So, right. So it's like, okay, in order, like, I have to save my family, but mm. most likely also, but I can also do this. Yeah. At least I can turn this into a better situation. Yeah. I'm not going to go into, like, all the details of the stuff that Anne did, but one of, like, the most mm-hmm. major things that she actually ended up doing was that she proposed a law that actually went through, much mm. to um, Cardinal Wosley's unhappiness. Um, Dismay. <laughs> which was the poor law, which was a law that laid out free health care for the less fortunate, um, as well as a statement that governments had to find the poorer people employment opportunities. Okay. But everybody, like most of the men and stuff, right, were who actually ended up being part of her execution, like the push for mm. her execution, like were like, no, this is not a good law. This doesn't work for us. Lovely. So, so did it end up being enacted then, or was it just like it was pushed through to a certain point and then it was just like cut off? I think it got pushed. If I remember correctly from all the reading I did, it got pushed through. But then there were problems with it, and it ended up mm. kind of getting, like, remolded. Um, because actually in Europe, like, well, not in Europe, but, like, in England, technically they have, like, free health care and stuff still for everybody. Right. Um, but even right now, it's starting to get pushed more towards, like, the privatized health care. Like, they had, um, like, for the long, like, a long time, they've had, like, a mix of both. Right, okay. Um... And so it's kind of going backwards now where they're trying to do more privatized health care than the free health care because their free health care is so overwhelmed. Mm. So they're trying to kind of, and separate. so they're trying to like, I think, figure out still right now like, as to what's going to be the best solution for it. But like, it's still like that they, like since then, like this point, it's been a, like more towards free health care than it was. Right, and that's in part because of Anne and, and yeah. this uh, this law that she got put into motion. Yeah. Okay, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, so she was, she kind of became clearly, like, in charge, um, in a way, <laughs> and was pushing the changes towards Britain. And then these more powerful men started to gang up on her, and she was basically, in my opinion, she was definitely murdered for being a radical, more modern thinker and a passionate woman. I think that the king, yes, was going to the side because mm-hmm. he has a very short attention span, it seems, um, <laughs> with his women, like, that no matter what, there's going to be a mistress. So he yeah. already was kind of, like, over his love affair for Anne and the obsession. Yeah. But I don't think it would have gone as far as her being beheaded or whatever the way yeah. that it did unless these other men were, like, pushing at him and being like, hey, look, she's radical. She's making fucking changes. We don't like it. She's too passionate. Mm -hmm. She's got to go. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, Henry seems like he was very easy to manipulate. Mm -hmm. Um, He seems, anytime he has a strong opinion, it's because it is coming from someone else, right? Like, there's always some other influence in his life, from everything that I've read, anyway, from my observation. He's, like, you know, he's super in love with Catherine of Aragon, so he's all in on Catholicism. He's super in love with Anne, um, so, like, Anne Boleyn, so he's, like, okay, Reformation time. Like, he he doesn't have, like, he doesn't stand for anything on his own besides just, like, his immediate 
pleasure and convenience. Like that's, he's so easy to use, right? Yeah. Well, I don't think that like reformation. Great. I think it was like that she was smart enough Mm -hmm. to spin it as to like, Hey, this is kind of like what I would like or, Hey, like this is the only way this is going to happen. Like I want to be married to you. Yeah. Knowing full well that the church wouldn't give it to him and that he would be like, I want to fucking marry this woman. Therefore I will do whatever it takes. Well, exactly. This is exactly what I mean, right? Like, he's, like, he in Reformation, great as in, like, not as him being, like, oh, yeah, super on board for the Reformation, but, like, oh, this is how I get what I want, then, yeah, sure, we'll do this, like, major political and religious change so that I can make you happy and myself happy. Like, that's what I mean. Like, it's it's not like he was ever fully, like, on board and, like, oh, yeah, the Reformation, like, he flip-flops back and forth, like, so often. Yeah. It makes it, like, so confusing for everybody. Literally based yeah. on who he's with half the time. Like, it's... Like, he doesn't actually care. He's just using it for his own, like, personal convenience. Exactly. Um, and that's, like, kind of, like, what I wanted to bring up about Anne. Um, cause, like, we all mm-hmm. know, like, most people know, like, the facts. Like, mm-hmm. but they don't know the behind the scenes and why she might have done some of it. Which I'm like, let's look at this in a bit more of, like, a, hey, look who's writing this history. Let's actually mm-hmm. look at the person that the history's live like let's living this history Mm -hmm. um and before we move on to your queen i do want to mention that there's literally only one known image of anne left in the world really Uh uh-huh it's her face on a coin that is currently held by the british library there is a possible second painting of a woman that has never been identified but there's not enough data to go on to say if it's actually anne or if it's just that the two of them have a very similar um, similar look Look, yeah. So, like, everything, like, anything that we see of Anne is actually taken from, like, like as, like, an artist rendition from this coin. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, everything else about her, including most of her letters, was all destroyed mm-hmm. by Henry. And the men that oh, executed, yes. that basically got her to ex- be executed. Of course. Except. I want to know. I want to know what incriminating shit was in those letters that he burned. Like, why did he think they needed to be destroyed so bad? Was it just heartbreak or was there some incriminating shit in there? Like, I need to know. Well, considering he was probably, his hand was probably pushed to do it. Yeah. And at this point, Henry was still like the good looking young king. Right. So he is right. So probably like the other people are like, oh, yeah, you need to destroy this because it's incriminating <laughs> to all of us. Yeah. Um, although my dear nemesis, Cardinal Worsley, kept <laughs> most of the letters that Anne sent to him. What? So, so he kept those, but he wouldn't let Henry keep. Anything okay. else. Any okay. Everything else. So, like, anything that could have exonerated her, gone. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Obviously. Obviously. Because that's how you cover up a murder. Is yeah. you get rid of the evidence. Oh, my goodness. So, really, I actually brought you two murder mysteries in this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good gravy. Right. So, so to be clear, she was she was murdered for having, like, well, you know, According to the public court, she was murdered for having these, like, past relationships that were, like, condoned by the people they were supposed to be condoned by. And then just, like, twisted into being, like, this horrendous thing. And then one of them, wasn't she, like, didn't they try to, or what was the word? Didn't they try to, like, pin one of her adulterers as, like, her brother? Or, like, how do I phrase this? It like, was, was related like... to her. I think it might have been her brother Thomas. 
Was it Thomas or was it George Berlin? I think there's a Thomas and there's a George. Okay, I think it was George because George came up in my notes because his widow comes up in my story. Ooh. And it was, uh, it said that George Boleyn died, uh, uh, he had died because he was, I think, beheaded for being convicted of having an affair uh, or on charges of, like, adultery and incest uh, and for, like, having an affair with his sister, who was Anne. Yeah. So... Well, and I think that, like, that when they were taking was... out Anne, they're like, we need to take out other people to <laughs> so make like our story more truthful to the public eye, yeah. right? Right, yeah. Um, but, like, how freaking bonkers is that? Is to, like, oh, what's that? She, like, has, like, a somewhat okay relationship with her brother. Let's just, like, go ahead and throw all these allegations at him, too. Like, Well, and they like... took, um, like, some of, like, Anne's, like, ladies um, and stuff, mm-hmm. they were also basically um it was either that they weren't allowed to have anything to do with her and basically put on like a hush gag order or yeah. they were also convicted with her mm-hmm. basically being like we're gonna need to type all of our loose ends yeah right oh my goodness yeah they really they really went above and beyond to silence her like i i mean oh, yeah boy. she was a powerful woman in a world of more mm-hmm. powerful men true it's kind of like the uh, mistress um, to in France, uh, Madame de Pompadour. Like she also was very much like, "Hey, I'm just the mistress, but I'm going to use my power to fix my country." Right. Yeah. And was kind of destroyed for that too. It's like this is the kind of power that like a woman of that kind of time could have was like acquiring it by marrying the right person. And then uh, using her influence in her marriage to actually affect any kind of change. Like, that was that was the power that a woman could attain at that time, right? Like, yeah. it's, I mean, automatically, like, comes off as manipulative out of context. But if you consider that that's, like, the only thing that they could do, it kind of makes sense. Like, if, if you had a passion to make a change and that was the only way that you could do it, like, wouldn't. Well, and I don't think Henry actually fully ever got over her because, I mean... His next wife was her second cousin and Jane, mm-hmm. and then he ta- and then he went across seas, and then he mm-hmm. came back to another cousin of hers. Yeah, that's true. It stayed in the same circle for like a while after that. That's true. There's actually that actually brings me to kind of my one of my points with Catherine is that there's actually a number of similarities between her and Anne, but in like in some ways they were very similar. In some ways that Henry would have liked, they were very similar. But in other ways, they're very, very different people as well. So are you okay with moving on? Yeah, totally. Have we discussed everything that you wanted to talk about with Anne? Yes, I have. All right. Well, then, Ashley, what do you know about Catherine Howard? Probably the same as what you knew of Anne. I think, actually, even though I loved studying King Henry and his wives, like, a long time ago, um, Anne was, mm-hmm. I think, the Anne and Catherine of Aragon were the ones I knew the most about. Mm. Um, that makes sense. Because those two were so interconnected and, like, relationships overlapped and stuff like that. Well, that makes sense. and I think I found, like, a sort of, like, a kinship. Like, I kind of got myself hooked onto Anne. Mm. <laughs> um... <laughs> So I didn't know as much about the other wives. So, like, with six, I'm like, great. Now I'm actually kind of more curious about the other wives because I'm kind of seeing them in a bit more of a humanistic light than just as Mm -hmm. one of Henry's other wives that's not Anne Boleyn. (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So. All right. Well, much like Anne, Catherine uh, was born sometime between 1518 uh, to 1527. I say that's like Anne because like Anne, we don't have her birth certificate. Historians argue about when exactly it was, and it does matter because it gives additional context to her future relationships, which ended up being brought to trial, and that resulted in her final demise, right? So, like, it adds so much context to her life, and this age range, I'll repeat, is 1518 to 1527. That is a gap of 10 years. There is a huge difference between, like, either of those birth dates. So, because basically what you have is you have some people saying that she married Henry VIII at 22, and some people saying that she married Henry at 13. Obviously, those are very different situations. You've had like, a child I mean, bride. Or yeah, a... what then is literally a child bride? But neither, like, I would actually almost say that knowing the society, 13 exactly. sounds like the more realistic age. Well, see, here's the thing, right? So at any point in that range, she still would have been the youngest wife. All of his other wives were in their mid-20s to 30s when he married them, right? Yeah. Range. So even if she was 22, she still would have been his youngest wife. Yeah. So, like, societal expectations aside, for Henry, it would have been hugely out of character for her to be 13. That is true. Because that is a big jump. So... I don't think she was nearly, I, like, I don't think she was that young. One of my sources did say that it was uh, normal for noble girls to be sent off for like, like kind of in the same way that Anne was, like sent off to be trained or like to be educated somewhere mm -hmm. at like 12-ish. Yeah. Which adds to my thinking that I don't think it was likely that she was uh, 13 because she was also sent off, like she was sent quite young, um, but she was also sent to her aunt's house, we'll get to that later, uh, for this kind of training. So yeah, so we don't know for a fact. There are a couple of documents or a couple of wills that narrow down this range a little bit. Uh, one from 1524 from a relative that doesn't mention her, but mentions her older brothers and sister. And another a few years later in 1527 that does mention her and her younger sister. So the theory is that uh, her and her younger sister may have been not born yet or born too young for the first will, uh, but old enough to be recognized in the second. So the, that kind of narrow, narrows it down by that theory, narrows it down uh, between kind of like 1522 to 1527. And I'm going to assume kind of leaning towards the 1524 range because it's kind of the average, uh, sort of in the middle, kind of makes it a little bit easier to understand what's going on by that date. Uh, and the, from most of what I saw had it kind of pinned around like 24, 23, 25. Um, so I'm going to go with 24 as just being the median just to keep things simple. Yeah. Like that totally makes sense. Uh, I know like with Anne, like that's why they're thinking like 1501 because she would have been about 12 when she would have been like put into these houses, um, mm -hmm. to be groomed basically. And so right where they're like anything past that is almost like she'd been super young going into these yeah. houses. Yeah. Which can happen. Like in Catherine's case, it, it, it did happen. Um, actually she, but she kind of had extenuating circumstances. She was born to a sort of deadbeat lord of a father and her mother died when she was only like a year or like only a year or two after the birth of her younger sister who would have only been a year or two younger than Catherine so when okay. she was probably around 
four-ish, her her mother passed away. And her dad was, like, constantly broke, right? Like, he was known for being financially irresponsible. He was, like, constantly in and out of favor with the king and other nobility. Uh, and, like, that kind of ran down his family line, too. Yeah. He married his first wife, who was Anne, uh, sorry, Anne, who was Catherine's mom, not Anne's mom, who was Catherine's mom, when he was still in favor and she had already been married and widowed and already had five kids and then she had six more with him Jesus. and this man is broke <laughs> that does not sound like a great childhood yeah so so what we're seeing is a really unstable childhood and then her mother passed away when she was like really like like i said like four ish five ish when she was really young right and her mother was like kind of the wealthy one between the two of them, like in that in that coupling. And so like her dad's side of the family was like the Howard side. Like that was like the side that was like, uh, unfortunately, we're related to them half the time because they're always bouncing back and forth about whether or not they're favorable. But the mom's side was like consistently powerful. So when the mother died, uh, her name was, we, we see it written as Jocasta or Joyce. Uh, and she was she was a Culpepper. That name will come back later. When she died, Catherine and one of her younger brothers, like all the kids were essentially sent off to various places to begin their education. Catherine was, and one of her younger brothers were sent to her aunt, who was the Duchess Agnes of Norfolk, who is a wealthy, powerful Duchess with a fantastic reputation. Um, and she did this like all the time. She ha always had like girls coming in to be kind of trained and groomed and like educated well, she had a reputation. like the place for like the powerful people then. Yeah, it's like Anne was born in Norfolk, like... and then Catherine sent to Norfolk. <laughs> yeah, so Catherine is sent to Norfolk. Things that she would have learned there, kind of the same things that I'm sure Anne would have learned, but probably like a little bit less because she was in England still. She didn't get to go to France, but she would have been taught kind of the expectations of court, how to sit, curtsy, etc. As well as like she was, we think she was taught like reading and writing. Not sure how far academically her studies went, but she also would have been taught domestic duties, like like how to cook, bake, household management, all like everything that she would need in order to run a noble household, essentially, as nobility herself. Cool side note I found, she probably also would have learned from her aunt how to diagnose minor illnesses and how to make and administer herbal medicines because her aunt was known for it. Ooh, she was, and she was actually, um, what, what was it? One of my sources said that she was actually asked by some pretty like high up people in King Henry's court about like how to handle like the plague or like the, the plagues and the things like that, that were going around. So she was, she was actually pretty well known for it. And I just think that's the coolest side note because generally the medical knowledge that women refuse not to learn, despite not being allowed to be doctors through so much of European history is just a testament to me, to our human desire to care for each other and women's adaptability during times of major power imbalance. Like we weren't allowed in like English society at that point to pursue academia on our own, yeah. but we still refused not to learn how to take care of each other and how to take care of ourselves. Like that, like, it's just, it's so cool to me. Well, yeah, because I mean, at that point, you've got your, like, you kind of have like the family traditions passed down that then you can teach to other mm -hmm. people where it's like, no, we're going to friggin' be badass women, even if you won't let us be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, okay, it's the woman's job to care for the people in her household, in her household, then let me use all the tools at my disposal. Yeah. Right. 
Like, you want me like, to be able to care for my husband? Well, if I cannot medically care for him while waiting for the male doctor to come... Exactly. I'm not doing my job. Like, exactly. Exactly. And it's just, like, it's just such, like... Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's very cool. It's just the, the drive to survive and like to survive and to do it well is, it really comes through in like just little things like that, right? Yeah. But anyway, back to the point. <laughs> yeah, Catherine probably would have had like a moderate amount of power over the other girls there because, and, and over the maids because she was the Duchess's niece. But the house was known for treating all girls in the Duchess's care the same, no matter what their status was. So she probably wasn't give like, even now that she's in this like financially stable environment, she still wouldn't have been elevated to this like, oh, you can do whatever you want. Like, you know, you're above anybody else kind of mentality. She still had this like down to earth, like you're the same as every other person around you, no matter how poor they are kind of mentality being pushed on her. Probably better for the her Duchess... anyways. Like that well, the yeah, other girls it... aren't like, um, who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it, it makes for a more well-balanced person to be able to like see someone else where they're at and not just be like, well, I'm above you. So yeah, the Duchess had some strict rules. Like she would like lock the girls in their room at night, but she was also pretty negligent. Like it wasn't that difficult for the guys to find the key. She was she was known for being strict, but she didn't actually keep the best eye on the girls. Okay. Is essentially what I mean by that. So by all accounts, Catherine picked up on her studies like well enough like there weren't any notes saying that she was particularly a dunce in any particular area she followed the societal expectations of womanhood very well like she was she was much less outspoken than Anne was she was very much meek she i don't know if i mention it later but she was with henry her life motto was as he says so it will be so very princess bride-ish of her but like reverse situations yeah yeah so uh, i think i wrote it down somewhere where did it go as he says, so it will be. And we're not sure if the king came up with that for her or if she came up with it for herself. But given the way that she acted throughout her life, like it's consistent. So it very well could have been her motto from her own words. This is the part that she is similar to Anne. She was praised as being a fine and graceful dancer. Ooh. And beyond that, there wasn't much that she was like especially or outright praised for. She was praised as being very beautiful and very charming. I think that's basically what women were praised for back then. Oh, you're pretty. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're like a good temperament for me. Yeah, yeah, that's essentially it. But she, she, she did carry a lot of charm with her personality. She seemed to be a very likable person. Yeah. So, and that stands for kind of a lot. <laughs> oh, there was one other note that one of my sources mentioned that she loved animals and especially dogs. <laughs> so there I was like that was more. kind of the one <laughs> other note about who she was at this time. Like she just seems like such a sweetheart. Like she. So yeah. So most of what we know from uh, or know of her from this period is very much overpowered by the information about her first relationship. And this is because of the court case and everything that comes later. And it's also overpowered by what various authors think about her first relationships. Okay. So I'm what a little we bit nervous know, now, but... <laughs> right? So what we know happened was that she was a young teen. Henry Mannix was her music teacher. Word around the manor was that she was rejecting him and he was pursuing her anyway. And he was quoted as telling a concerned friend of Catherine's that he had less honorable intentions than marriage with Catherine. These are things that we know about the relationship. Much also outside of this is speculation. Uh, Catherine did not appreciate hearing about this. And shortly after, the, the relationship ended. There is no evidence that they ever actually consummated the relationship, though Mannix would allegedly 
I put in quotes because, you know, a, a lot of her story is like from word of mouth. She did not have like a le letters and letters and letters from him like harassing her. It mostly happened in person. But he would allegedly brag about her showing him her body. But the extent of her relationship honestly did not have much of an impact on her life. The point is that it happened. Uh, she broke it off. And he seemingly had a hard time taking a no from a teenage girl. He would have been older than her, but it's debatable as to how much older, because again, her birthday is her, like, you know, her entire birthday is debatable. But the only birthday I found for him listed as his birth year being the 1515, which with our previous assumption would make him about nine years older than her. Okay. Uh, so old enough to know better. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> that's kind of my point. And I think, mm -hmm. like, having like that age gap definitely makes it so that he had way more power like even if he wasn't in like a power situation of mm -hmm. his job being her teacher he had the power of being older and that more people mm. would be like we trust you you're older than her and also you're a male and when you're a woman and you're living in a society who's told that you have to defer to the men in your life and like i said her motto her life motto later was as he says, so it will be. When you're already raised to have this kind of mentality and then this older teacher of yours is telling you to do things and she's just a kid. Like, she's just a kid. And, but also, you know, power or no, he still should have known better because he was below her in station and never should have touched her. Like, he should have known that she was completely off limits. Yeah, but who was going to stop Like, him? it was never going to happen. It never, like, should have happened. And his intent wasn't even to marry her, so he's just dishonoring her by touching her. And, like... Just, it should have been completely hands-off. Like, it never should have happened. Um, well, no, but in that time frame, who was going to stop him and who was going to be like, you shouldn't do oh, that. Exactly. It would be more of a, hey, good on you. You got some yeah. higher class ass, basically, if we want to <laughs> modernize their language. Right. I mean, all it seems from the book that I'm reading uh, by Josephine uh, Wilkinson, the one that you're lending to me, Catherine Howard, the tragic story of Henry VIII's it's queen. She talks a little bit about how the other girls in the house were concerned for Catherine. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier that the one of them asked Henry, like, hey, what are your intentions with her? And he said as much as I have no good intentions with her. I just want to I just want to touch her. I like, you know, I just want to play with her, essentially. Yeah. So thing. Things ended between the two of them. Uh, never should have happened to begin with. And then shortly afterwards, uh, she moved on. He had a really hard time with that. We'll see that in a minute. But she moved on and started courting another man who was also employed by the Duchess because, like I said, she was very bad at, like, actually keeping an eye on what was going on in her house. And this is Francis Derham, who would have been the same age approximately as Mannix. So this is not much better. He, he was an usher in the house. He wasn't her direct teacher, at least. But there are also, like, so many... Conf so many conflicting accounts of what happened here. Um, we don't know how long the relationship lasted because the birthday would kind of, like her birthday would kind of tie into those calculations. Like if she was here for like how long she was even in the house, let alone how long this relationship lasted. But it appears to have lasted at least a few months. And as Catherine shared a room with the other girls in Norfolk, house it was known among her companions that they were engaging in each other sexually the girls were all like i said before right like all the girls were sleeping in the same room they had multiple beds they had multiple girls to a bed and 
the Duchess would lock the key at night and then some boy would come along and grab it and unlock the room or someone would sneak by and like unlock the room and let themselves in. And then it would be kind of a free for all. The boys, it it wasn't just Catherine. Like there were other couples that would be coupling up in this situation as well. Um, It's just that Catherine was of a higher station and shouldn't have been engaging in it by everybody's standards. So she was kind of judged more harshly just for that but she wasn't the only one doing it and it was like kind of an open secret that this was a thing that was happening Darum, among other accounts claimed that the couple considered themselves to be married or in a pre-contract they referred to each other as husband and wife by accounts of people that were there at the time and they considered themselves to be in a pre-contract which would have been illegally considered a marriage at the time but Mannix was petty remember I said he didn't get over it <laughs> Yeah, And he reported the relationship to the Duchess, who didn't approve because of their difference in status, because he's of the same status as Mannix and has just as little chance with her. And she ended up splitting them up by sending him away, like outside the country away, like gone, gotten away. So their relationship ended. Yeah, so I'm like, so it's not even the fact that her, it's her niece at such a younger age with an older man and probably not, not like the most consensual, possibly. It's the fact that their status. She's just worried that this will be a mar on her status. She, She is just worried that Catherine can marry higher and she'll be a mar on the family if she allows this lower status man to touch her that's that's the problem here not Mm. not not that she's literally a child literally a baby (laughs) no like it's their fucking status no see at this point like women were considered like sexual temptresses at the age of like 13 at this point right and it's basically just like oh well you're naturally like this you have to reel yourself in or like the men will come and take advantage of you and it's like wait what like (laughs) hold up make it make sense i thought kissing was like as far as you could go at 13 and you're telling me that like they thought 13 year olds were sexual temptresses like i'm like this this whole story just makes me lose my mind no the problem was that the men weren't of high enough status if they were higher status this would be fine i'm getting sassy uh but Catherine didn't stay in the Duchess's care for much longer, thank the Lord. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, but the year was nineteen or was 15, 19. I almost did the same thing that you did. What century are we in? Who knows anymore? <laughs> the year was 1540, and her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, got a position for her as a lady for Anne of Cleves, who was on her way to marry King Henry VIII. She hadn't arrived yet, but her position was secured. So she went to court to start prepping for that. And this is probably around the time when she would have met Henry. And uh, Anne of Cleves' relationship with him did not last very long. And by July the same year, Henry had arranged an annulment with Anne of Cleves and rumors were spreading that he'd marry Catherine Howard, who was around 30 years younger than him. Still assuming Catherine's birthday was 1524, she would have been around 16. So much prettier Um, than Anna of Cleves, which was his whole shtick about, oh no, she's not pretty enough, therefore I'm going to go for the 16-year-old, who is probably in general, like, with their age, like, the women's age gap, yes, mm-hmm. she'd be prettier because she's not as stained with age as you would she's be. she's 16. Yeah. <laughs> because she's 16. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, he, yeah. So, basically, he was going to marry Anocles for political reasons. She got there, and he was embarrassed because she didn't recognize him, and then 
he starts going around saying that like, hey, you don't look like your, the portrait that I had this famous painter who is famous for painting people accurately. You you don't look like your your portrait. Sounds reasonable. Sounds super, super legit. So yeah, so he broke it off with her pretty, pretty quickly, like six months later. <laughs> uh, and rumors start going around that he's planning on marrying Catherine. Uh, around this time, the French ambassador described her in a letter to King Francis I, who is King of France, uh, as a lady of great beauty, daughter of Norfolk's deceased brother. So like lots of emphasis was placed on her beauty and her charm. Henry married her quietly on July 28th of that year and had the church acknowledge her publicly a couple weeks later in early August. Catherine was reported to be kind, gracious, and graceful. Uh, her marriage with Henry at first seemed happy at the start, as they always do, and he publicly endowed her with gifts and displays of affection, and she just soaked it all up. Like, this was like her best life. She's thriving here. Considering she went from being trained up, like, essentially as a maid for the queen, to being the queen herself with little to no public backlash, like, it, this was not like Anne's situation where everybody favored the queen before her and now don't like her. This was like a completely different scenario where everybody like barely knew the queen before and then this young pretty little thing comes up and everyone's just like oh like she's an absolute doll like ev like everybody loves her there is like there's no public backlash for her coming into power at all and it was like initially like a real cinderella moment and she was just thriving on the parties and the dancing like she's just having a good time of all of it right and honestly like fair play to her like if you went from being essentially working class to suddenly being the queen and all these parties were constantly happening you bet i'd be on the dance floor constantly the king was even reported as being the healthiest he had been in years uh, and in the best spirits, like he was, he was very happy with her at the start. She, she actually also had a good relationship with Anne of Cleves, which probably helped with the public perception. Uh, like to the point that Chapuis, who was the Spanish ambassador, I think, said that uh, Catherine received Anne at court, showing her the utmost kindness and also wouldn't allow Anne to bow to her, even though Anne had lost her rank as queen and technically should have. So she was like super duper sweet. She had a really good relationship with the past queen and uh, like nothing happened in animosity. It could have been a really, really awkward situation. And they just, they, they took it and they just like smoothed it over and they did not have a problem with each other. She also gave Anne gifts of two dogs and I think a ring that she had received from Henry with his approval. And the two danced together even long, like even long after Henry had left. So they are like, they're here, they're ready to party it up. Like they're, they're having a good time. She also did what she could to have a good relationship with Henry's children. Uh, she often gave small gifts to her young cousin, Elizabeth, and they seemed to get along really, really well. Uh, but Mary didn't get along with her wonderfully, which makes sense since Mary was actually older than Catherine was well, so and, Henry's oldest daughter was older than her well and like when you think about it too Mary's mom was very unhappy with her situation mm. so they that would have probably rubbed off on Mary as well like mm. all of these other like step moms basically mm -hmm. don't belong it should be my mother up there yeah my mother should still be here and she should be the one in your place for sure yeah. And I mean, she's also related to Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. They're related by blood. So Elizabeth like probably would have been like, great. I don't care how old you are. You are related to me and yep. I will take you in if you want to be my new mom. <laughs> well, and this is the thing. Elizabeth had like so desperately like wanted a mom. Like 
who had she had since then? She had like the woman who replaced her mother when she was like very, very small. Elizabeth was actually still quite young at this point too, right? Yeah. She had Jane Seymour, who was fairly short-lived and died. And then she had Anne of Cleves, who like kind of showed up and then was gone again. And then she has this woman who's like giving her little gifts. She's related to her. She's like trying to be kind of a mother to her or in some sort of way. Like it, it makes sense that Elizabeth would be like, especially being so young, it would make sense that Elizabeth would have this like attachment to her. Yeah. It was theorized that this is kind of a side topic, but it's been theorized that the reason why Elizabeth, when she grew up, took so so long and like hesitated for so so long to get married was because she liked Catherine Howard and she saw her get murdered essentially Mm. for marrying quote the wrong person kind of right so like it's been theorized that Catherine Howard's death left like an everlasting mark on her and kind of marred her perception of what marriage was and like that you know convinced her kind of wasn't safe well considering like her next real motherly figure had the same mm-hmm. demise as her mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, so even if she was, like, even though she was, like, really young when Anne was beheaded, it's, like, she would still have, like, some of those memories in a way mm-hmm. um, from, like, people's perception of her mom and, like, the, oh, and, like sure. knowing what happened to her mother and then having the same thing happen to the next woman that was kind enough to her and stuff, right? Like, that's like, yeah, I yeah. also wouldn't want to put somebody through that or put myself through that possibility if the man became higher power than me and was like, bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it makes total sense. Like, even if she was too young to remember it herself, she'd like, as she grew up, she would learn it and it would still like affect her deeply. Huh, the young prince was very small but i believe that she also like made an effort to like reach out to him and give him gifts as well mary and her they had their back and forth spats uh but they did before the accusations came out around catherine they did seem to kind of come to some sort of understanding and they were on relatively peaceful grounds shepwe the ambassador that we had mentioned before was kind of mary's not like official guardian but he was kind of her strongest ally for like most of her life growing up after her mother passed away and he didn't have any kind of problem with Catherine Howard. It's in in all the things that he's written about her are more or less flattering or sympathetic even when it came to a particular spat between Catherine and Mary uh that got to the point that Catherine was kind of like she needs to apologize or I'm taking two of her maids away. He he still kind of took like a neutral ground on that and he still didn't like say anything about Catherine overreacting or being unreasonable or anything like that. And basically all that he said about it was that this happened. Mary says that she has figured out a way to placate the queen and then they, they kind of smoothed it over and it was fine. So like that was the extent of that. It just comes across like she really was trying with these kids. Even though she was, I will repeat still a child herself yeah so she she wasn't a particularly political person unlike Anne she was not very vocal about it but she did still use her position to kind of take care of her people in the sense that she arranged for land to be granted to her servants she gave old friends positions in her household including Durham upon request and begged the king's mercy on behalf of a number of nobility who otherwise would have been imprisoned or condemned and she was very popular for being this kind of like voice of compassion for the king. Uh, One such example being Margaret Pohl, who is the Countess of Salisbury. She she wasn't able to secure her freedom, uh, but she had heard that the elderly Countess was cold in the Tower of London and obtained permission from Henry to send her warm clothing made by her own dressmakers. 
And so she was able to kind of keep her comfortable until she was like, she still ended up being executed, but she was able to keep her comfortable. And Paul certainly would have appreciated Catherine's compassion in a time when essentially no one else had any for her. So like things like this made her pretty popular in the eyes of the people. Uh, and her compassion was like a thing that she was very much known for. Um, she really was like a lady's lady at the time. Like she met, like she ticked all the boxes of like what a proper lady should be. Like she, she, she knew how to be that. And it seemed like it came like pretty naturally for her so basically um, Anne mm -hmm. killed them with passion mm -hmm. while Catherine killed them with kindness yeah I mean yeah you know Anne put Anne picked up her sword and like fought her way into like her rightful political place right like she like she was ready to fight for herself all the time Catherine very much was just like oh I'm here like sure like let's make the best of this like she's just she's just a sweetheart she's just a sweetheart and then someone made her queen like yeah like she didn't ask that's for really... that but she did what she could with what she was given well exactly exactly like she just seems like she's such a pleasant person and like I would have loved to like meet her and just like have tea with her you know like she seems like the kind of person that she's just all good vibes like you walk away from her and you just feel light like she's just so lovely always um, keep plotting the downfall of the church with Anne mm, <laughs> that's possible she was also very conservative like Catherine was so she was actually quite different from Anne in that regard she was more of a conservative Catholic but she didn't like do much for the movement for or against it was just it was part of who she was and she had some she had some opponents because of that yeah she was religiously conservative so there was like a couple of people that like on the Protestant side um that didn't like that she was in power just because her being conservative and being catholic naturally tends to cause henry to lean a certain way or like one way or the other um and probably had a role in like impacting the people's perception of the church and stuff as well but she was never like vocally for or against anything politically she barely had the opportunity to like they were married for like a year before accusations started coming out essentially like roughly so she did not she did not have her moment in the same way that Anne did and now we're pretty much caught up with where midnight strikes and cinderella realizes that she actually married a tyrant and not prince charming so the first hint that something was wrong happened when henry asked catherine why she seemed sad and she asked if rumors that he intended to get back together with anne of cleves were true there were rumors like this kind of bounced around a, a bit uh but he responded by essentially telling her to stop thinking about it and if he were to remarry it wouldn't be with anne which is not super comforting well considering um, the only one left is his first wife right it's like oh don't worry if i were to remarry again it wouldn't be with anne it's like okay but you do still want to stay married with me right like that's kind of why she's asking it's not really that she's worried that he'll get back with anne she's worried that he'll leave her and her response and and his response was just like oh i'm, I'm i won't get back together with her if we do break up that's not comforting <laughs> Well, no, and considering he has the reputation of She's a womanizer. Wife number five. Like, uh, yeah, like he, he could have done better. He could have done better here. We don't know exactly what he said, but we know that was the gist of it. There was also an event a few months later in which one of her cousins was up for trial. And despite public outcry asking for him to be released, the man was sentenced to death, even though one of his comrades was given a pardon. It isn't actually known if this was a reflection of the king's relationship with the queen, but it doesn't bode well because like there was like a group of men that were like being sentenced, right? And of this group, one of them was the queen's cousin and that wasn't the one that received the pardon. So it's like, all right, is she falling out of favor? Is her like 
did she plead for mercy here? Did she want that? Like, we don't really know. So, but you would think that the king would want to protect the queen's family. And in this case, he did. So it's got some implications. Catherine went with Henry on progress, which is like um, on tour through their castles around the country. And it's like this whole big party. And everyone was reported to be happy enough that people started whispering that her coronation would be happening soon. Uh, but this was not the case. Instead, in late 1541, so like a year and a half after marrying the king, a random courtier named John Lascelles, uh, who happened to be a devout Protestant, so a person who would not have liked that the queen was in her position, reported to Archbishop Thomas Cranmer that his sister, Mary Lascelles, uh, had lived with Catherine at the Duchess of Norfolk's house and had told him all that she knew about her relationships with Mannix and Derham. The same day, and the Archbishop was a Protestant as well, he also would not have appreciated that a Catholic was in the Queen's position. So, the same day that Henry ordered the churches to publicly thank God for Catherine, and this is the same Henry who called her a jewel among women, Cranmer gave Henry a letter disclosing Catherine's relationship with Derham, and an investigation was immediately ordered, and unfortunately, it did not clear her name. They questioned Mannix and Derham, Mannix confessing that he'd love Catherine and thought it was returned, as, uh, as well as reporting Catherine's relationships, as well as confessing to reporting Catherine's relationship with Derham to the Duchess. Uh, Derham admitted to sleeping with her, but said that they'd agreed to marry and essentially had a free contract, so they hadn't done anything wrong by this line of logic. All of that was like the way that things were allowed to be. That was a societal norm that would that should have been okay. But if they um, were considered but he would, married, would they like if that was enough to consider somebody as married, would that then mm -hmm. have also made it so that the marriage between Catherine and Henry at that time wouldn't be like a legal marriage? Yes. Okay. I'm like, that yeah. pissed off Henry more than the fact that they slept together. Probably. Probably, yeah. So the same thing kind of happened with Anne, where she had a previous relationship, they had a pre-contract, and that was kind of ignored when it came to the uh, case, like the adultery case, right? That was kind of like swept under the rug, like, oh, no, no, we're just, we're going to ignore that part. We don't, we don't like that part. That part doesn't fit our narrative. Yeah. So in this case... He said that they had a pre-contract and therefore he didn't see her as having done anything wrong. He didn't see himself as having done anything wrong. He was questioned by torture as well, though, and ended up attempting to prove that the relationship had ended before Catherine's marriage to the king by kind of throwing her under the bus and revealing that Catherine was having an affair with Thomas Culpepper, saying that she had rejected him as Culpepper had her affection now. So basically he was like, see, she's not with me anymore. She likes this other guy instead of just being like, she said that like she wasn't with me anymore because she's with the king. He's like, no, she's not with me anymore because she's like this guy who's like a friend of the king's. Like, I... Hang on, though, but isn't that the same last name as her mom? So wouldn't that also be a cousin of hers? It is, in fact, a cousin of hers. I'm like, I'm listening. I, I pay attention <laughs> to things. It is. I've actually, I've got a family tree chart in front of me here. And it's actually a distant cousin of hers. So her mom, oh, Darren was also a distant well, maybe that's a different Darum. I'm actually not sure. There's too many nope, similar also, names. Yeah, Darum was also a distant cousin of hers. Yeah. Everyone's related. Just just everyone's related. I mean, it is like the 1500s England, so everybody's freaking yeah. related to everybody. Incest is just a thing. Essentially, yeah. 
nobility, am I right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your family tree is a circle. So yeah, so instead of just saying that like, yeah, our relationship ended because she married the king, obviously we would end our relationship when she married the king. He instead said, our relationship ended because she likes Culpepper now and throws this other guy into it uh, as well as Catherine. And it's like, cool, 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 cool. Thanks for that. You could have tied up this whole thing nice and neatly with a nice pretty little bow, but no, you had to open your big damn mouth. Well, no, because it's a safe so, situation. <laughs> right? So Culpepper, yes, was a distant cousin of Catherine's and a close friend of the king, as a matter of fact. Uh, they likely met when Catherine came to court. Before he would have met Catherine, get this, he had already been accused of rape and murder, but had been pardoned on both counts and was still close to the king regardless. Because he is a male. Pretty much, yeah. It's a yeah. theme. No, from the report that I saw, he raped a park gardener's wife. So another married woman and then murdered a man, I think when he was trying to get away from the situation, if I understood it properly, I kind of like, I mean, I, I was rolling my eyes too hard at that point to read. Like, I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. This is the guy who's like, word we're going to trust over the queen. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Cool. Cool. Sounds reasonable. But yeah, but somehow so close to the king. After this line of questioning, our ladies were questioned. And they had no hard evidence, but they saw what happened with Anne and did not want to be like her ladies who ended up dying with her. And so they offered up circumstantial evidence, uh, probably to save their own lives. Because again, remember, this is not the first time that Henry has done this, and they were probably rightfully terrified. Yeah, I would be. Apparently, according to them, Catherine wasn't found in her bed late one night, and she once looked longingly at Culpepper. This was admitted as evidence that she looked longingly at Culpepper. Was he that holding was maybe, that was enough was evidence he maybe holding to get a puppy? Murdered. Like, and she was looking longingly at the puppy that he was holding. <laughs> <laughs> See? Like, like, yeah, no, no, no. I definitely understand that the queen would be looking longingly at a man who was pardoned for rape and murder. Like, I definitely the kind of guy that a queen would be looking longingly at. But regardless, supposedly, there were several occasions in which the couple used Jane Rochford, who you might recognize as George Boleyn's widow, yeah. as a liaison in order to meet privately. Uh, if they did have a physical affair... They were never caught in the act, and the circumstantial evidence was the only evidence, but it was enough to get her for a conviction. Yes, because um, Jane would want to assist another queen with pissing mm -hmm. off the king when mm -hmm. she saw what happened to her husband and sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. Totally well, makes sense. Thing. <laughs> From what I recall, Jane Rochford actually took the stand against George as a witness and said that his relationship with Anne was like a little too close. So some people see this as like a poetic kind of karma that she ends up dying in very similar circumstances, being like on the other end of the stick, essentially. Yeah. Not that those things are like actually connected, but some people see this and they're like, yeah, this is kind of, this is kind of karma. How about we <laughs> like just you're gonna don't murder your... our supposed loved ones? Yeah, right? Like maybe we just don't do that. Like crazy, crazy thought. Crazy, I guess, modern <laughs> day thinking thought but not really because well, i know lots of modern day situations like this but still <laughs> and she ended up being the only one too all of Catherine's other maids were like cleared of the situation because they all threw her under the bus but jane specifically was mentioned by name and so she ended up dying alongside Catherine. 
Yeah, so the only document that we have written by Catherine herself was actually a letter to Culpepper, uh, but it isn't outright damning. It's, it is short, so I wanted to read it here. Okay. In her own words, and you'll have to bear with me on this one. This is old grammar. This is old, old grammar, and it breaks my brain every time I try to read this. <laughs> but Catherine Howard, from her own words to Culpepper, writes, Master Culpepper, I heartily recommend me unto you, praying you to send me word how that you do. It was showed me that you was sick, the which thing troubled me very much till such time that I hear from you, praying you to send me word how that you do. For I never long so much for a thing as I do to see you and to speak with you, the which I trust shall be shortly now. That which doth comfortly me very much when I think of it, and when I think again, that you shall depart from me again, it makes my heart die to think what fortune I have that I cannot always I cannot be always in your company. It, my trust, is always in you, that you will be as you have promised me, and in that hope I trust upon still, praying you that you will come when my Lady Rochford is here, for then I shall be best at leisure to be at your commandment, thanking you for that you have promised me to be so good unto that poor fellow, my man, which is one of the griefs that I do feel to depart from him, for then I do know no one that I dare trust to send to you and therefore i pray you take him to be with you that i may sometime hear from you one thing i pray you to give me a horse for my man for i had much ado to get one and therefore i pray send me one by him and in doing so i am as i said afore and thus i take my leave of you trusting to see you shortly again and i would you was with me now that you might see what pain i take in writing to you yours as long as life endures Catherine, and she has a PS. One thing I had forgotten, and that is to instruct my man to tarry here with me, tarry here with me still, for he says, whatsoever you bid him, he will do it. Hmm. Yours as long as life endures, Catherine. That's how she signs off. I see there being two ways to read this, right? I've read this like five or six times now. Either she is absolutely in love with him, and all the allegations are true, or he has some major blackmail on her, and she desperately needs to talk to him about it. Could like, this is the most way. passionate that we've seen her. Definitely could be either way. I mean... This was sent before the invest investigation started during her tour when she was, like, away with the king. So I could see this being, like, a, you're keeping your promise not to rat me out, right? Kind of way. Or I can see this being, like, I can't stand being without you. I need you so bad kind of way. But I mean, it could also, like, even still be, like, a friendshipy thing, right? Like... It could still be, like, a friendshipy thing. Because, like, I, I could so pretty much would be, like, I friggin' need to be with you... I miss you so much mm -hmm. to my friends. Right? Like, there's there's a lot of ways that this can be taken. She says uh, near the beginning, she says, I've received word that, you've, that, you're, that you were sick and it's troubling to me. Uh, she also says, basically, I really, really need to talk to you. And it comforts me very much uh, to think about being able to talk to you soon. That that's a great comfort to her. Yeah. Well, I mean, she says, it makes my heart die to think what fortune I have that I cannot always be in your company. So it like it, it it's the, the most devastating thing to her that she can't always be with him, but that her trust is in him. She mentions Lady Rochford here, Jane Rochford, mm -hmm. and says, uh, for then I shall be best at leisure to be at your commandment, which could be that could, that could be romantically. That could mean literally like at his every like beck and call because he knows some shit on her, which is entirely possible. There's like, there's a lot of ways that this could be read. History doesn't always, because of like what we think what happened mm -hmm. is going to taint 
a lot of the time like how we're going to perceive it exactly exactly unless we had Catherine saying I'm just freaking friends with the guy (laughs) exactly we aren't ever going to know for a fact what the relationship was but there's definitely something suspicious going on when she's talking about things like there's no one that I dare trust to send you so I went out of my way to get this man that I'm like, she's sending this man to be kind of her liaison for her, right? Yeah. So she's like, I've gone out of my way to find this man that I can trust to send word so that you can send word back. He says that he'll do whatever you say while he's with you. Just like, please get him a horse so that he can come back to me quickly and carry word quickly. So there's there's some kind of secret messaging going on. There's some kind of something going on that's kind of suspicious. But we're never going to know what it actually was now. Yeah. Like, she died before she could ever, like, fully tell her story. And even when she was alive, no one listened to her. Well, not Um, that she's a woman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just heartbreaking. Like, it's like, there there was clearly something. And I just, I, you know, we'll never, we'll never know what it was. Culpepper was questioned, and he actually denied having a relationship with Catherine. But... He did admit that he wanted one. According to both parties, nothing physical happened between the two of them. When Catherine was questioned, now it's finally her turn, now that everyone else has been questioned except for her. When Catherine was questioned, she apparently went into a panicked frenzy so bad that Archbishop Cranmer, the guy who was investigating her, ordered that her room be cleared of anything she could used to hurt herself with when he left her. She was this upset. And this is just when he came to talk to her and he said that he had he started with the intent of you uh, saying that he was gonna like lay down the law and tell her what she did and how dare she do it and then talk about the king's mercy and have like this flood of relief at the end of it to try to get a confession out of her but when he went in to talk to her she immediately was so panicked and so frenzied that he started with the king will have mercy on you like or the king has shown mercy to you and this is how the king has shown mercy to you and cranmer details like this entire conversation in a letter to the king kind of like explaining what happened and she essentially replied that knowing of the king's mercy only hurt her more because the king had this mercy on her and this is what she did and like she was just like completely beside herself well Um, looking at her husband's track record i'd be freaked the heck out even if i didn't do anything right (laughs) like this is the thing like but also she's like talking to the guy who's talking to the king and she knows this right so like you're not like you'd be you can't just tell him that like he's gonna kill me anyway i don't care if he says that he's gonna be merciful i'm going to die like you can't but she's like in such a panic and she's just like so completely beside herself that she's just like like she's so beside herself with complete and utter panic that in the letter he says i found herein such lamentation and heaviness as i never saw no creature so that it would have pitied any man's heart in the world to have looked upon her yeah but henry's not gonna care no but you know he really did try with this letter like it really does shine the most sympathy on her and it's like even though this man was like a religious rival of the queen in a sense like they even though they came from opposing sides he really does treat her with the most sympathy here and that just kind of goes to show like how how respected and how loved she was yeah like this whole thing came as a shock to henry too he did not expect this of her whatsoever like he he thought that uh initially when he first got word of this whole situation he thought that it was just a rumor and then the investigation turned out to that there was like some kind of history and then they had to dig into that so (laughs) Yeah, so she's she's being questioned. She's in this, like, crazy headspace. 
and I mean, honestly, rightfully so. And she denied to the death that she ever had a pre-contract with Theram, even though that could have provided the only loophole that could have saved her from her charges of adultery. Kind of like we talked about before, if she had a pre-contract with Theram, then her marriage to the king wouldn't have been valid and therefore she couldn't have been adulterous to the king and therefore she wouldn't have committed treasonous adultery. It would have been just normal adultery and that's fine. Uh, it's, it's at least not deadly. So regardless, she always said that that part wasn't true now the king could have just ignored that technicality like he did with anne but like it would have been some it would have given them something if they if they did if he was in better humors with her whatever like it would have given him something to like kind of allow her mercy Cranmer also wrote in the letter to the king that catherine said during questioning that she never sought Durham's affections like she never wanted them but that quote all that Durham did unto her was of his importune forcement and in a manner violence rather than of her free consent and will. Poor thing. Yeah. Like, I feel for her, especially if she's, like, admitting that, hey, I didn't want these advancements, mm-hmm. but congratulations, I, I got them. Yeah, and, and like, under these circumstances, too. Like, can you imagine? Okay, so she's 16, 17, 18, maybe now, in that range. Can you imagine... Something like that happening to you when you were 13, 14, 15. If anybody's listening right now, I'm unfortunately, I'm sure somebody can. And I'm really, really sorry. But having that happen, and then not only having that happen, living in a society that tells you literally everyone believes that it's your fault and that you did something to deserve it. And then growing up, having the Cinderella moment, thinking everything's going to be fine, it's in the past. You know, you're keeping people quiet and it comes up again, but now it's treason, even though it happened before you met the king and your head is on the chopping block. Like the grief, the trauma, like I just, even, even if they didn't see it the same way culturally, like emotionally, the impact that that has is devastating. It's like, all I can say is that like, these are Catherine's words when she is absolutely beside herself with grief for this situation, right? Like she, she's described as being in a frenzy. She is doing everything that she can to pull herself together. And this is the only thing that she can just like say to describe the situation. It could be a final grasp at freedom, but a pre-contract would have been an easier out than accusing someone of rape, right? If her goal was to just get out of the situation, she should she could have just gone with what Darum said and said, oh yeah, we had a pre-contract, but she didn't. But what she did say was that it was not willful and that it was not consensual. And that says a lot to me. It's tough because we have so little documentation about her life. These exchanges didn't happen over letters, they happened in person. And so we don't have like written evidence about what the relationship was and what it was like. And that's and that's tough it's it's literally only a he said she said but when she says it like this i'm inclined to believe her yeah well, no matter how it looked to people like when it was happening that doesn't mean that it wasn't a incredibly manipulative situation you know just e- even just because of the way that society saw it she could have been so vehemently against it while it was happening and even still had people thinking that it was consensual because everybody assumed that she wanted it she deserved it or she was asking for it because she was getting it it's i just i 
I, I just feel, I just feel so much for this poor girl who, you know, she did everything that she could to be a good woman by society standards, to be a good queen, to be compassionate, to be kind, to be generous. And no one listened to her. She was taken advantage of by her own understanding, by her own words. And what does society do with her story? They take her and they call her all kinds of terrible things. They they make it out that she was a sexually promiscuous woman. And like, she maybe had two boyfriends in high school and she didn't want them. That's hardly a sexually promiscuous woman. And even if she was, she's she's also a very compassionate woman. She's also a very generous woman. She's also a very graceful woman. She also has skills and loves and dreams and things that never got to be realized because her life was cut short because the king has an ego. There's another part of this story as to how it got so far as her death. And that is that the king was no longer young and pretty. The king was older and rumors were already starting to very, very quietly spread about him possibly being impotent and, and unable to have another son. People thought at the beginning of his relationship with Catherine that he would leave Anne or like leave Catherine and go back to Anne of Cleves uh, when Catherine didn't immediately have a child. And they thought that he was essentially just bouncing from queen to queen at this point, just like, give me a son, no son, okay, next. And like running out of time. What does it say about a man's stamina if his teenage queen has to go somewhere else to get her sexual means met? Not great things. Nope. And so there is a theory that part of the reason why that this went the way that it did was because Henry's ego was very, very publicly bruised in this situation. Whether the situation was what they said it was or not, that's what it would have looked like to people. And he absolutely could not have that. She was not the only one that um, ended up dying in this situation, though. Mannix got off scot-free, of course. Uh, Darum and Culpepper were both tried for treason and pled guilty. They were given the opportunity to plead guilty. I'm just going to emphasize that. Darum was hanged, drawn, and quartered. And Culpepper was beheaded because he was a nobleman. Darum wasn't. So Culpepper got the more, shall we say, tidy mode of death. Catherine never had a trial, uh, or at least she was never given a chance to defend herself in court. A council decided she was guilty of treason without her having a chance to speak up for herself. She was beheaded alongside uh, Jane Rochford for being part of the conspiracy, and she was described as looking ill as she approached the block, but her final words followed the common script of the time, basically saying the court was just, the people should pray for the king, and her actions should reflect on her family, and proclaiming her faith that accepting her physical punishment would allow the Lord to have mercy on her soul, essentially, more or less. Whether she actually believed what she said, who knows, but the people looked on her compassionately even after her death, even after these outrageous claims against her, the people still held compassion for her, and she was described as being courageous for keeping her composure. Basically, Henry threw away what could have been a really, really magnificent queen, and my heart just breaks for her. This world has such a shortage of compassionate leaders, and she could have been one. And she was cut short because some guy who knew her before she even met the king decided that he could have whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. It's just egregious, man. Like, and for her story, her her absolute tragedy of a story, for it to, like, be taken by historians and be turned into this whole debate as to whether or not she was like seeking it like yeah like she's so much more right yeah 
what we noticed in the musical as well, like with like mm-hmm. the final kind of a thing with Catherine Parr, right? Like that history has one opinion of it, but mm. they aren't all what history says that they are. Exactly. And I think we see it like not just with women of history, but even with like some of the men of history or just like mm-hmm. the groups of history, right? And I think that's what we're kind of aiming for, I guess, with this podcast cast is to look at the other, the other sides side. like yeah and like being able to be like okay let's look at them with a human perspective and not mm-hmm. just with what the victors of or the people who've decided the history have decided is what happened exactly history is told by the winners and the loser story is just as important if not more so shouldn't even be the losers the loser sounds like a harsh way of saying it the victim's like story yeah like also matters and it's it can be so difficult to find like we have so little documentation on Catherine howard we've got this you know we've got this one letter from cranmer to the king that i've been quoting we've got her letter to culpepper we've got very little else she's mentioned in a couple of places i mentioned shepwe uh, the ambassador mentioned her a few times favorably, but it's hard to paint like a full picture of who a person was from just like these few things that we have. Yeah, and like and I had the same with Anne. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that most of her side was destroyed. Yeah, that's like you have to really look into the nitty gritties to figure it out. Exactly, and like same thing with with Anne and with Catherine is like they're. Their version of events is never like fully going to be like explored because it's gone. And what we have as a result is a lot of court documents talking about how they're definitely for sure guilty because that way Henry could discard them. His ego was bruised in one way or another by both of them and he didn't want them anymore. So he found a way to get rid of them. Heavy note. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I don't think next week is going to be any lighter when no. when we would talk about Bonnie Parker and Anne Bonnie both yeah, with no, like so much lighter <laughs> so much lighter I mean yeah it's in some ways we'll, we'll try to bring the fun to it where we can where exactly. it's respectful because that's the thing Catherine's life she faced hardship you know she grew up poor she grew up being ignored and like neglected and being told that her no didn't count for anything but she did have that she had that one little glimmer and that's why i kept emphasizing it she had that one little glimmer of light where she got to live out like being the queen you know she got that one little glimmer where she was partying with nobility where she was dancing where she had the dogs and she had the gifts and she had the jewels and she had the things she had that one shining moment and it did not last long enough but i think that if her life had been longer that would have been her joy right like, I think it would have been from enjoying these lavish parties and, like, taking care of people and being the voice of compassion for the king whenever she could get away with it. I think we would have seen more of that, and I think we would have seen her mature into that role as well. I think it would have been a beautiful thing to see. So what are our lessons for today? Our lessons for today were avoid men named Henry because they will stab you in the back. Don't piss off men in general. Don't piss off men. Men in power. Men in power. Choose your men wisely, people. This is like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is what we're going with. Just, yeah. Be careful about the people that you let into your life. Keep backups. Keep backups. <laughs> Backup everything. Screenshot those texts. Screenshot those emails. Keep a journal. Leave a record so that history will remember you the way that you want to be remembered. Leave a record behind. Yeah. <laughs> 
There we go. That's our lesson. I think Don't... it's a good lesson. Oh, yeah. It's always an interesting thing to see, like, who people were and then how they were remembered because there's, those are so often not the same. Not the same thing at all. And I think we're definitely going to, like, get more into that with next week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Well, now we know a little bit more about uh, Anne Boleyn and Captain Howard. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much, and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.